My name is Allison Felis, and this is I'll Follow You, a podcast featuring light and lively conversations about film, music, and creative culture, coming to you from the People's Republic of Rogers Park on the far northeast side of Chicago. Today, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Brian Westfall. Brian is the proprietor of the shop Rare Birds Musical Oddities. Rare Birds is a shop dedicated to those elusive, beautiful, and lovingly weird pieces that will bring character and vibe to your recording dates, home studio, and performances. Vintage guitars, basses, and synths, cowbells once owned by real cows, Casio keyboards once owned by real 1980s kids, maracas brought back from a great aunt's college trip to Mexico, drum machines that used to sit on grandma's organ, toy pianos from Christmas 1958, wheezing chord organs, middle school band orchestra glockenspiels, and much more await you when you visit Rare Birds Musical Oddities. As Brian and I nerd out about all things gear-related, we also discuss why this is a great time to be a musician streaming performances online, how nostalgia plays a part in the Rare Birds shopping experience, the frustration of how elusive the really cool stuff can be, why he actually encourages his customers to resell the gear they've bought from him, and why he's more interested in what you're doing with your gear rather than what gear you have. Be sure to visit my blog, queenofpeaches.com, for links to the Rare Birds online shop and Instagram page, as well as a listing of a lot of the Chicago musicians and bands that come up in the course of our chat. And now... My conversation with Brian Westfall of Rare Birds Musical Oddities. So, hi, Brian. Thank you so much for being willing to chat with me today. Hey, Allison. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a beautiful Saturday in Chicago, and if things were normal, we would love to just like roll on down and see you in person. But as it is, <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, strange times for sure, but good times for making music. Yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we we've been we've been meaning to do more of it, and we we did a little. I think you saw the Pink Moon recording that we yeah, did yeah, uh, a couple weeks awesome. ago. Yeah, yeah, that was really cool. One of my favorite. So we're things. like Pardon? one of my favorite songs too. Yeah, no, it was, I was surprised. I mean, I know that that song is beloved, but like, you know, we put it up on Facebook and everyone was like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy to hear yeah. this. And this is really what I needed tonight. And we were like, wow, okay, well, we hit a nerve with that. So that was Have cool. you been getting that response a lot? I, I really have too, with just things I've done. And also with, um, you know, some of the stuff that Joe, the, the singer of my band has, has put out um, on Instagram and, and just various music things that I've put out in the world uh, recently. People are seem so appreciative of it more so i think um there's just i don't know people are looking for (laughs) some just sort of comfort i guess and finding it in music which is good really good and uh yeah and i mean did you guys like sell a bunch on the the big band camp sale yesterday we uh i don't know if we did i don't handle the band camp stuff with the band Uh um and then we've we've actually dove into the, the spotify and all that that whole mess so um, we've kind of put our resources there a little bit more, but that's cool. I didn't know, I didn't even know they were doing a sale. Yeah. It's, they've been doing it periodically, like once a month. Um, I mean, basically since all the coronavirus stuff started happening where they'll, um, 
knock off their their share that they take um on one day and so it's kind of like okay everybody on this one day go download all of your Bandcamp stuff and then the artists get the full amount you know other than like whatever paypal processing oh, fees cool. and stuff really cool. but but ban- but Bandcamp itself doesn't take anything on those days which is has been a nice thing so yeah, yeah. we uh brian and i the felix kremens band most recent album we had a couple downloads which was really really nice to see so that was cool. uh that's good a good it's always a good excuse to then just like to like in a non-annoying way like rehype the album if people have forgotten about it too yeah yeah, yeah totally totally yeah so before we get to a uh, much further into our chat here yeah i mean i would love for you to just give a little intro to yourself as a human being and what you do uh musically and with the shop and everything yeah sure so uh my name is brian um i own a shop called rare birds music and it it's kind of like a um, a sound source store. Um, it's online only right now. Um, my site is rarebirdsmusic.com, but, um, I have had a, uh, I had a pop-up shop in, in the Andersonville neighborhood in Chicago. And, uh, yeah, I sell all kinds of cool stuff. Um, cool in my opinion. Um, I have a lot of electronics, a lot of vintage stuff, a lot of pedals, um, for guitar and synthesizers, drum machines, um, stuff going back, I've had stuff in my shop going back to the 1940s and then all the way up to, to uh, stuff that's, that's really current. So yeah, I, uh, I sell, I do a little bit of repair work um, and I do some rentals and uh, yeah, that's, that's what I do. So I love your social media presence. I have to say oh, like nice. the rare birds Instagram page is like such a joy. Cause it's like the gear always like looks amazing and you take really good care to like take really good photos and your captions are like always really funny. <laughs> so you. like it was, is that like, was that part of the part? Like when you, when you branched off into like doing your own business, mm-hmm. was that something where you're like, I really need to harness social media or does that just kind of come naturally to you? Yeah. You know, when I, um, so I worked at a, uh, a, very prominent music store in Chicago um, for many years. I was a sales manager there. And, you know, as in the time that I was there, like the, the whole industry, the music retail industry really changed, you know, from uh, kind of more of a face-to-face thing to a very much internet-based um, type of uh, business. So, yeah, I mean, I was so in the trenches doing it and, and just trying to sell and, and learn about gear and, and be knowledgeable that I kind of neglected the social media side of it. And there were other people that, you know, were that was their job to do that at the store. Um, and so when I left, I was like, well, this is cool. This is a chance for me to be really kind of creative with photography, which I'm, I'm very much an amateur at, but have, have learned a lot. Um, and, uh, and writing, which is actually, uh, kind of sort of my background in terms of that, that was my major in, in, uh, college It's a, a journalism major and I do some creative writing on the side. So, um, I really like writing up descriptions for guitars and, and instruments and, uh, and just trying to be creative with it. So yeah, to, to be able to kind of, um, take over the reins with the social media has been good for me. Um, and, uh, I think it's important, obviously kind of uh, everywhere these days and, and it's how a lot of people shop for gear so yeah well and it's sort of how people probably find you now since you are yeah. a temporarily online only right yeah oh yeah absolutely i mean um when i first so i had the pop-up shop um fairly soon after i, I left cme and started uh rare birds music um and so that was uh 
because I had a physical store, there wasn't quite as pressing of a need to get into the social media, but I was doing it anyways. But now, yeah, it's, it's an online shop. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how it has to be done. And, and uh, that's how I get the word out there. And I feel like, I mean, I mean, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you do have a nice distinctive presence that sort of does, does that help you like in, in selling and stuff? Cause it's, it seems like with so much of gear sales being online these days, you really do need to have that like special something that, that really sets you apart. And so do you, do you feel like that helps? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I've kind of learned along the way. I've also been sort of indirectly told this, but um, you kind of, if you have cool stuff, you have unique stuff and, and vintage really helps with that because it's, it's kind of inherently unique. Um, you tend to, the gear kind of does the talking, right? So you don't have to really go out there and advertise it um, specifically. You just have to make sure it's out there and you have enough of it out there and you have the cool stuff because, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with a, an MXR carbon copy or, um, you know, like a, a Roland TR8 or something that's really uh, everywhere, you know, but um, that stuff is not quite as easy to sell, I think, just because there's so many different places you can get it. But if you have really unique pieces, people tend to seek it out and they're just kind of interested by it. So they, they sort of do the talking and then I just kind of help them along a little bit. <laughs> well, and I feel like because yeah, your stuff, your selection is so so cool. I mean, um, uh, my partner Brian and I have have you know bought a lot of gear from you over the years, and yeah, the things sure. that we really love is are the Omnicords that we picked yeah. up because. Mm -hmm. was such a huge fan of um daniel lenoir and has you know had remembered seeing photos of you know his circuit bent you know whatever things that he all the different like mods that he had done to the omnicords with uh and work with eno and stuff too and uh and we'd never had had access to one and so that like was really kind of a game changer for us uh in terms of having this um you know more basic uh you know chords that it that it is available to play but in that sort of limitation becomes that freedom of like oh how how can i make interesting sounds with this and so i feel like that's you really excel at at getting in these these crazy pieces and so where did where did that ethos kind of come from of wanting to to focus on that stuff um yeah that's a good question um you know it uh, i've always been intrigued by um by weird pieces and I, i've always been sort of a um simpleton when it comes to music creation you know i just i like i don't i can't get too into the weeds sometimes with um 
things with way too many knobs or way, you know, downloading software and stuff. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And people make amazing music that way. But for me, I like, I like the simple stuff and I like the charm of, of some of the older pieces and something like an Omnichord. Um, if your listeners aren't familiar, I mean, it's, it's this, uh, basically this device that's kind of like a, um, it's kind of like an auto harp, but it's, it's all digital and it's, it's from the 1980s. But, uh, yeah, I mean, something like that where you can literally just, you don't really need to even know how to play it. It's just all about your creativity. You hit a button and it plays a chord. You hit another button and it plays a different chord. And then, of course, you can you can circuit bend it like people have done. You can uh, you can put it out into some of your guitar effects and, and manipulate it that way. But yeah, I guess I got into that stuff um, just out of well, first of all, I didn't really see another shop in Chicago that really had stuff like that um, that was dealing in kind of like some of the less expensive stuff. Everything seems so serious, you know, when you go into music, shops, <laughs> you know, and and. I love expensive guitars and I love expensive amps and all that stuff. And I have some of that stuff um, in my shop, but I didn't see anybody really like, I've never walked into a, a major music store and seen an Omnicord on the wall. I've never seen like a, an eighties Casio that other than like it maybe a pawn shop or something like that. And so I just wanted to get the cool stuff and, you know, not all old cheap, Casios are cool, but there are some that are really great. And, um, you know, I like to have that kind of, that kind of cool stuff in the shop. And, uh, it was also a way to get into this early without spending huge, huge amounts of capital to get really, really expensive guitars. So yeah, it's a combination of that my interest in it. And then sort of the practicality of getting, getting the less expensive stuff and, uh, and just seeing what kind of artists and, and kind of weirdos I could attract with, with this kind of gear. <laughs> well, because I think I mean that's got to be yeah an attractor to a certain slice of yeah. of, a, of a kind of clientele okay. like me and Brian, where we do like this weird stuff and so, stuff with a little bit of a sense of oh, humor. My, I've met the coolest people working at the shop, including you guys. Yeah, there's it just um, there was I did tap into um, a, a market of people that I think didn't necessarily have uh, a place to go for this stuff. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been really cool and. It's always interesting seeing who's going to be looking at some piece, you know, who you can connect with some weirdo piece with some some weirdo person. It's always great. Because do people like, is it like uh, being a teacher where it's like, show your work? Do people like come back to you and be like, hey, man, like, listen to this crazy thing I recorded oh, with the thing the I got time. from you? Yeah, all the time. It's it's really cool. And um, I've had, yeah, some noise artists like send me, send me clips of like just bizarre stuff they've done with with my gear, like these crazy soundscapes, I've seen song, singer songwriters. Um, I had a customer that was, I had a great connection with and he ended, ended up giving me some, um, some African uh, rhythmic instruments that I'd never even heard of um, because he was like so inspired by some of the stuff in my shop. So yeah, it's, it's been really cool. And I, I do get a lot of, um, I get to see my, my pieces that my former pieces in action, which is nice. It's you're you're like um you know you're like a, a pet adoption service or something where it's like you get all these little these little misfits and then they go out and bring so much joy to people in the world. Yeah, yeah. I had a um I had a gentleman uh, that bought this like wheezing, uh, barely working um, 
cord organ from me. It was a really tiny cord organ from the 1950s that had a little electrical fan. It sounds like an accordion, basically, but it has an electrical fan. So you, it's set up like a keyboard or an organ, and you, you hit a button, and it, it has this electrical fan that, that blows air through the reeds in it. And mm. um, he had no idea he wanted it. He came in looking for a different piece that he ended up not really digging. And I showed him that, and he bought it, and he ended up doing the entire score for a film that he was scoring it actually <laughs> was uh, um premiered at like the Cannes film festival in france and yeah it was it was awesome and he was ecstatic about it um that's so cool yeah so yeah it's it's definitely cool you are kind of like giving up these little uh or letting letting these little children of yours go and trying, <laughs> trying to find good homes yeah so, like, is there any, like, holy grail stuff that you are, like, always keeping an eye out for that you that you haven't had come through yet? Or, Ooh. like, a, a, again, as far as, like, you know, I'm, you have this idea of the of the way that you're curating the shop, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's a there's a bunch of pieces. It's kind of it's kind of hard to, to give you one. I mean, um, I'll give you a few examples if that's OK. Um, I love Maestro pedals. Uh, maestro effects they were a, a company that was based out of chicago back in the 60s and 70s and i think i think somebody remakes them or has used that name for some other stuff now but they have all these great sounding pedals um and their design like the, the stuff is really beautiful looking too but yeah just killer analog fuzzes and um they have one that's a, a ring mod that i've been looking for for a long time but they're about a thousand dollars <laughs> yeah, they're they're expensive, but if I find a, a good deal on one, I'll get it. Um, I love old tape echoes. I have a an Echoplex, which Maestro um, acquired the uh, the Echoplex name uh, in the seventies. So I, I have one of those right now in the shop, and then the um, the Roland Space Echo is another absolutely killer piece that if, if you can afford to get into one, I would suggest to your listeners to get one of those for your, your music making and recording. It's, they just add so much dimension. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds of guitars. I've had a Wandra in the store, which is this Italian guitar maker that made these pieces of art guitars. They're just so gorgeous. Um, I had one of those in a, like a baby blue color. It was a Wandra Cobra it was called. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know. There's too many to mention. Just too many. <laughs> I like usually like American made or Japanese made um, vintage stuff. Um, there's tons of exceptions to that. I like a lot of old Italian guitars, um, gear from all over. But um, typically, uh, yeah, the vintage '60s and '70s guitars, synths, drums, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and you know, like you were saying before, you know, they're they're sort of not being uh, anywhere, especially in Chicago, that was exclusively focusing on this stuff. And it's and it's also, you know, for me, it's I'm not a guitar player. I'm not like a super super gearhead. You know, my my gear knowledge mostly comes from you know like being adjacent to you know my partner who is a guitar player. Yeah. And uh, but so, but I've been around a lot of these shops long enough to know that like the sense of humor that you bring is like so refreshing because there is this sort of 
aesthetic to the way that you assemble everything where you're like ah yeah like i can i can sort of hear your voice like through through the way that you put your collections of stuff together and in the kind of stuff that you that you lean on and that you and that you advertise and so yeah that's like a really a really remarkable thing i think that you've been able to do in in having this voice that's that's beyond uh beyond just the gear that's super sweet that's that's a nice compliment yeah i um So the store I worked at was the Chicago Music Exchange, and uh, that store is like mecca for guitar players. It's it's an incredible store, and it's you know a lot of people consider it the greatest music store, the greatest guitar store in the world. Um, but it had a very um, not necessarily in their social media presence. I think they did a good job with not always being real serious. Uh, but when you walked in there, it had this kind of like museum type vibe to it, and a lot of customers would actually say that they were sort of intimidated until they talked to the staff and then they felt better. But um, they said they were kind of intimidated by coming in there. And um, I guess maybe subconsciously that was sort of in the back of my head when I was putting rare birds together, just um, I wanted it to be a little bit more about discovery and sort of um, just the possibilities of uh some of these instruments and, and also nostalgia nostalgia is a big part of kind of what I do for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I guess I didn't want to necessarily approach it from this like kind of elite sort of um, angle that some of some music stores can have. Sometimes they can kind of turn people off, but I, I think that was more of a subconscious thing. I don't know if I necessarily did that, you know, knowingly, but yeah, thank you for the, for the compliment. Yeah. I, I uh, I try to curate it and have the cool stuff. It's it's difficult though sometimes. The cool stuff is elusive <laughs> and expensive. Well, sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah. Before we, you know, jump back into talking more gear, like I'd love to hear more of like your origin story of like how you know it's like yeah you you worked at at, uh, at CME and and had that experience and and that you know blood into your shop, but sort of like before. Before that, like how, like what, how did you start playing music and, and where did your, your interest in music come from and how long have you been playing and all that good stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I was uh, a pretty typical kid growing up. I was into sports until, you know, I played sports in grade school and then partially into, uh, in the middle school, but I took this, uh, but I always loved music and my dad, my dad was really great source for music. He played a lot of classical music and um, a lot of early rock and roll. And I, I remember coming home from school one day and he was listening to like Native American chants and you know, stuff like that. So he was a big inspiration, but he wasn't a musician himself. Um, but anyways, I, in, uh, in middle school, I took this class um, that was taught guitar and keyboard in one. It was a, like a combined course. And um, I was... I think I was second worst at second worst in the class at keyboard and the worst in the class at guitar. And uh, <laughs> I remember coming home to my mom and I, I'm like 14 or something. And um, I said, I was telling her about this, this class and how I didn't even want to go to it. And, you know, I was so bad at it. And she's like, well, why don't you practice at home? She's like, I have a guitar. And I was like, what? You have a guitar. My mom had a guitar my entire life and I didn't even know about it. Until, um, <laughs> And pulled, That's amazing. Yeah, she pulls out this old Stella Harmony, um, this like plywood guitar that you was sold at Sears stores, and um, I 
proceeded to become obsessed with it. But for, for a while, I was like determined to be the guitar player that didn't play chords because I didn't, I thought that was too hard. So I was just going to play single notes. Um, and eventually I, uh, I, I got into it. And at, around that same time, my, my older sister's boyfriend at the time made me a mixtape of like alternative rock. He made me a cassette back, back in the day when he did things like that. And uh, it had like Green Day and Offspring and all these like all this great alternative stuff. Um, and I was just hooked and I was a guitarist and I quit sports. <laughs> and I, just, I was like, you couldn't, you couldn't pry the thing out of my hands. And, um, and you know, we got a keyboard shortly, like a family keyboard shortly after that. My grandma had her organ whenever we'd go over there and I'd mess around on that and, uh, got into bands really quickly or started a band. I should say that was really just three dudes in their, mom's basement that didn't know what to do. I, I need to know the name of the band though because it's like that's my favorite thing in oh, the world yeah. is like people's like what they called their like high school bands sure, yeah. <laughs> well we had a bunch of we had a bunch of different names because there's a bunch of different iterations but you know it was the late kind of 90s at that point so uh when we got serious about naming our band and so it was the single word names were real popular you know like corn and things like that tool yeah and we were debase <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yes yeah. yes i love it Actually, you're gonna i don't know debase uh the value of our instruments i guess by, <laughs> by playing them. um yeah so that that was us it was debase and we uh we played around the cleveland area i'm from ohio and uh we played at um a bunch of clubs that are probably not there anymore and played some shows to four or five people things like that yeah those are those are the good days well, that's, I mean, but that's like nothing to sneeze at if you were playing clubs in Cleveland. I mean, because Cleveland's uh, rock scene is, is you know, well revered. It you is, know? yeah. You know, I mean, Cleveland has, has made strides. I went back there recently and um, and I couldn't believe how, I don't know, just how much it's come along and how much, how many more people there it seemed to be in like the downtown area. But um, yeah, even back then it was cool. And it was like, it was so exciting going downtown because, you know, we were suburbs kids and going going downtown by ourselves and bringing our instruments and playing i mean it's just so exciting you know and and then the few times that we actually did play in front of some people at like some battle of bands when there'd be like a hundred people out in the audience or something um that was just there was nothing like that for me that that feeling you know so yeah i was hooked totally and then eventually when i got into recording and i, I realized that it's just playing live to an audience that wants you to be there and recording music <laughs> and being creative is like, there's nothing, there's nothing better than that in the world for me. So, um, yeah, I think my, my path was just sort of chosen for me. And so, I mean, were you like really trying to make a go of it or was it, was, you know, did, were you trying to get a, get a record deal or um, was it yeah. just a way to hang out? Or? We just had no idea how to do that, but yeah, we all, we all wanted that. Um, you know, I remember, uh, <laughs> well, this is, Quite a bit later but i remember turning 27 and not having a record deal or whatever you know like not having a successful band and just being like oh shit like that's the age when everybody died you know like i'm supposed to be famous <laughs> by, you know that's like when hendrix died yeah. and like janice joplin and like cobain and everything so um yeah that was a that was a hard moment but yeah back back in the uh in, in the early days yeah i was we were we were trying to do it we just didn't know how you know and it was, right. it was such a different um landscape 
for musicians then. I think there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more tools now, but there's also maybe more, more noise that uh, is hard to sift through for, for uh, listeners trying to find artists that they like. But yeah, we were out there with staple guns and like, you know, hanging up our posters on the street poles and everything. Yeah. Are you still in touch with those guys? Um, uh, some of them. Yeah. Some of them. My, uh, my college bands, I talked to some of those guys still. And, uh, the high school bands, I think we've all kind of gone our own ways and, and lost touch, but I still got the records. <laughs> which were not records. The, <laughs> the joke that, uh, that, that Brian always tells is that, uh, one of the, one of the guys in one of his college bands is now a thoracic surgeon. So, wow. <laughs> So it's like you, you you rock out for a period of time and then you got to buckle down. You yeah. know? <laughs> I love seeing those photos of like, you know, young rockers and then like their, their current state, you know, the accountant or you know, whatever they happen to be. Or like I love all those uh, the websites that have um, like the cheesy band photos where everyone's like against a brick wall or like jumping like the jumping photos are my favorite. Oh, yeah, the, that's a that's a running joke. Um <laughs> the brick wall photo that's a it's a classic we actually the the uh the band i play in currently that that does the country stuff we were uh we were at a venue and taking some photos and there was a brick wall so we did the, the uh, that photo the ubiquitous uh brick wall band photo i mean it's a classic for a reason it, is, it works it, it always looks cool yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry about dimension or anything like that you just line them up and do it well, you know, it gives a little gives a little character to the background. There's something for your eye to focus on. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. Exactly. Okay. And if it's black and white, all the better. Yeah, right. Yeah, we we didn't go black and white, but I'm sure we could we could uh, manipulate that if we'd like to later. So so tell me about the band this this uh, the band that you're you're currently playing with. Yeah, so um, I'm involved in a, a few different projects, but the the main kind of gigging band is called Joe Wartell and the Natural Law. And um, it's a it's like an old school country band. We do a lot of covers and we do originals too. And it's funny, I'd never uh, I've always liked country music. My dad used to play that too, um, but I I never really saw myself doing that. I mean, I I like I grew up on like you know rock and punk and post punk and things like that, which I'll always love. Um, but yeah, I, I happened upon this uh, this singer. He's actually a barber too. Name is Joe Joe Wartell, and um, he just has a, he's got the voice. He sounds like Waylon Jennings, and I, uh, mm. I he he was pretty um, pretty green when it came to uh, putting a band together. He's a younger guy, and um, he was like, "Yeah, I'll let you put a band together." So I I basically got to assemble the band with musicians that I had played with before, and I had a pedal steel player in mind who also plays guitar, and I had a drummer in mind. So I was able to kind of wrangle these guys up and um, yeah, we've been doing it for about three years and gig all over town. We're gigging all over town before uh, uh, this current lockdown, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun band. So what, what are you, what are you playing in that band? Or, Cause oh, I thought yeah. I saw a photo of you with bass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, I, I play bass in that band. Yeah. I'm, my main instrument's probably guitar. I would say I've been playing that longer, but uh, for bass, has I've really really come to to love the bass. Um, I just love the rhythmic elements of it. I like harmonizing with people, and um, yeah, so I've I've really taken to it in the last probably four or five years. And I seem to get a lot more requests from my bass playing than my 
my guitar playing these days. So, so yeah. I mean, bass. Yeah, that's always like the missing link, right? Is like you know, there's always going to be like two guitar players who are like, let's start a band, yep, man. Yep. And then it's like, well, where where's the bass player? You know, totally. yeah, <laughs> and you can do it. Slater done, and you know, a lot of sure, uh, sure. Yeah, there's. I've never heard this is this might be controversial, um, but uh, I've never heard a two guitar band that I thought wouldn't benefit from some bass. But again, I'm a bass player, so I, I love I love the low end. But um, but anyways, yeah. So that's what I'm doing in the band. I also sing harmonies, and uh, I'm part of the kind of writing small writing team in the band. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, we got we're working working on an album that got very, very postponed with this lockdown, but um, we do have music up on Spotify and iTunes and uh, anywhere else you might find your music, YouTube, those kind of places. Yeah. Awesome. I will, I will link that in the show notes uh, at, uh, on my blog for people to, uh, to go check out. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. So what's the, like, is there any sort of bleed over between, you know, your life as a musician and in the way that you run the shop? I mean, how do those things inter- interrelate for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone, all uh, potential customers should know that not only is your the piece of gear you could be buying from a tested out, it is thoroughly tested out. In other words, no. like, <laughs> I have probably recorded something with it in the short time that I've had it. Um, I've probably obsessively played with all the knobs and like experimented with it. Yeah. I, every piece of gear that I get, as long as, you know, time provided, I, I usually try to incorporate in, into like my recording gear for, for a day or two until it sells um, sometimes longer. So yeah, I, I love getting something like, like, a, like the echo plex. I mean, it's just so fun for me to, to have around um, until it sells because it's just awesome. I mean, is there any temptation to like remove it from the listing? Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, it's it's terrible. Sometimes you you get really attached to to pieces. Um, it was also kind of a reason for getting into this, you know. Like I, I mm. can buy a a two thousand dollar synthesizer or a thousand dollar synthesizer or whatever it is, with the knowledge that I'm going to resell it, you know, and then I get to enjoy it for a little while and then and then pass it on. Um, Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to just throw down that money, you know, regularly on on, on gear. Um, but I, it's funny. I, I also kind of encourage my my customers to do that too. Like, why not buy a um, uh, a '70s drum machine and use it for creative purposes for writing songs? Maybe like rip all the sounds off of it and sample them in your your computer, and then pass it on to the next person. You know. And that's the cool thing about the vintage gear is like if you if you take care of it, the stuff doesn't really go down in value, especially the old analog stuff. I mean, people just want there's a there's a real desire for for those sounds and also like more transistor based stuff and, and mechanical things that I think we tend to be really depart uh, detached from in today's kind of modern world. So yeah, I think a lot of musicians are looking for this stuff, and yeah, why not? Why not just pick it up, be creative with it, make recordings with it, and then pass it on to the next person? Well, and I love what you say on the site, too, where you're kind of like, this thing shouldn't be just sitting in someone's basement. Like, let's bring it out into the light and, like, let it do what it's meant to be doing, like playing music. Oh, totally, totally. I mean, um, I think in some regards, uh, a lot of vintage stuff, especially in the guitar world, maybe, maybe in other worlds, too, I just I tend to know a lot more about the guitar world. Um, 
there's this kind of um, a little bit of a culture of like hoarding really the really cool old gear and sort of showing it off, which is, I guess there's nothing really wrong with that, but you know, it is a tool, you know, a guitar or a pedal or a, a synth or whatever. They're, they're tools and they're, they're designed to do something with, make music with. So while I do really appreciate the historian aspect and like the, uh, having this beautifully curate, curated collection, um, I'd rather see it like get to a musician that's going to do something cool with it. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, because my, um, you know, my background is that my dad was a gigging musician. And so he, you know, he loved keyboards. And, you know, he uh, especially, you know, he was gigging in the in the 70s and 80s. And so it's it felt like the the strides that were being made in, in uh, keyboards as they were, you know, morphing and changing and getting cooler and more sophisticated. It seemed like every every other year there was like this quantum leap in how and how affordable things were yeah. and, and how cool and how many things that they could do. And but anyway, all that is to say that, like, he never fetishized the gear. You mm-hmm. know, it was like anything, anything that was in my house growing up, it was like my dad was using it for a reason. Yeah. You know, he was he was gigging with it or he um, he did a lot of uh, community theater where he would play in the pit bands. And so oh, cool. a lot of times in these, you know, community orchestras and stuff where they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't be able to source an oboe player. Well, you know, my dad had a good enough, you know, oboe patch on the on the keyboard yeah. to sort of like play that line if there was like a, a key part, you know, in, in whatever song song was being sure. done. And so um, that's cool. Yeah. So that's that's my frame of reference for it, where it's not this sort of like, you know, the stereotypical deck shots where everyone's like, yeah, here's here's my collection. It's like, well, what are you doing with it, man? Right. You know, totally. yeah, yeah. I, I'm much more interested in. Um, well, I was going to say I'm much more interested in what you can do with it than rather than what you have. But I, I'm interested in both, you know, because I, I genuinely love just seeing the old stuff and um, the rare stuff. It's just cool. But but yeah, it, it should be used, I think. You know? pull, pull it down. So wall. where do you where does a lot of this stuff come from then? Like, how do you how do you source oh, it? All over. Um um, I, I do some stuff on eBay. Um, I do, I go to a lot of guitar shows. I travel extensively for that. Um, I was just sifting through this gentleman's garage yesterday. He, uh, I think that was a, um, where did I find him on? Maybe Craigslist and, uh, a long time ago. And, and he calls me up when he gets cool stuff in or uncovers cool stuff that he has laying around. Um, and I've been doing this long enough now where I'm actually starting to get people that are coming to me with trade-ins, things that they want mm. to sell or they want to trade for something else I have. Um, so yeah, short answer is all over, but a lot of, a lot of digging and also a lot of kind of disappointments with broken stuff that I buy online, that I have no. to, to get fixed <laughs> or send back. Um, but yeah, it's, I do, uh. I do definitely hunt for this stuff. That's that's for sure. I mean, this is sort of a dumb question, yeah. but like, was that like a surprise where, where it was like, you know, you had the idea to do this shop and then you're like, oh shit, wait a minute. Like now I got to find this stuff, <laughs> you know, yeah, like well, was it, was that sort of like an unexpected part of the, of the gig? No, I don't think so. Just cause I had, I had some, some frame of reference from, from doing this for so long at other stores. So I knew sure. like how often the really interesting stuff comes in. And I knew that you have to get somewhat, um, you have to be vigilant, I guess, in, in like keeping an eye out for it. And also really actively seeking it out too. And a lot of things that I do, um, 
is I'll someone will advertise something like maybe on Craigslist or Facebook marketplace or something, and I'll see it. And I won't necessarily be interested in that piece, but maybe I will. And I'll just ask them like, Hey, do you have any other cool stuff that I should know about? Um, that you, that you comfortable selling. And sometimes people are like, no, I don't. Sometimes they're like, I do, but it's kind of sentimental. And of course that's something sentimental to you. I always tell them, just hold on to it. Um, but sometimes they're like, yeah, I got this old box of records. I also sell records too. Sometimes. Um, I have this old box of records or I have a, I have this old pedal board that I'm not using anymore. Or I have this guitar that's in the garage. You know, that happens more often than not. You just have to be kind of like, um, you just have to dig a little bit and investigate and, and ask, ask if they have it. So yeah, I've gotten, I've gotten lucky with, with finds like that. Nice. So what's your view sort of on the Chicago scene these days? Cause you've been around for a long time. Like you were saying, yeah. you have, you know, you've, you've got some pretty deep roots here so far. So like, what are you, you know, with playing out with, uh, with Joe and the band and, and how are you finding the scene these days? Yeah, I think it's good. Um, the, uh, the country scene that I probably know most intimately right now is uh, it's healthy. There's, there's some really good artists out there. I actually play with a, a woman um, named Michelle Billingsley just put out an album that I wasn't on. I'm, I'm in her live band, but, um, and that's a very recent development. She's great. Um, great singer, great songs. Um, she's kind of got like an Emmy Lou Harris vibe about her. Um, the band I'm in, I think we're, I think we're doing good. Um, there's another artist named David Quinn. That's, that I really dig that does kind of like an Americana thing. And there's a great live band that we play with sometimes that you got to catch if you're, you're uh, able to. It's the band's called wild Earp and the free for alls. And uh, mm. they're just a really fun, uh, they have a male and female vocal, so They do a lot of duets um, and old school country stuff. And they also do some like kind of countrified versions of like Prince and Depeche Mode. Oh, nice. Yeah, actually work. <laughs> they're thought out. They're not just like, Hey, let's put some steel guitar over prints and call it country. They're really right. well done. Um, so that's the country scene. That's that's cool. Um, there's there's a lot of jazz artists that I really dig. A lot of jazz guitar. I love seeing jazz guitar. And um, you know Joel Patterson. You may know him. He's an amazing oh, sure, guitarist. Yeah. yeah. Um, my buddy Dave Miller, who's bought a few things from me, is a great solo guitar player. Um, lots of there's good a lot of good rock music going on right now too. Um, there's a band called Knee High that I enjoy. They've bought some stuff from me. Um, Twin Peaks, they're they're doing fantastic. Um, Jungle Green is another band that's that are customers of mine that I really enjoy. It's like old school, uh, kind of '60s jangly, just really melodic pop. Um, and um, there's some hip hop too that I've I've been getting into that uh, I'm not going to be able to think of off the top of my head probably, but an artist named Lance Skywalker that I really dig. He's, uh, he's based out of Chicago, but he's on TV, uh, which is Kendrick Lamar's label, I believe. Oh, um, nice. yeah, he's really talented. Um, he does like some, he's like a hook man that does, uh, chorus hooks for, for a lot of artists on TV. Yeah. So uh, there's a, there's a bunch of good stuff. I feel like I'm not super plugged into it right now, especially in the rock world. I, I really, um, have been slacking in that department. But, so if you got any suggestions, let me know. 
No, nah, no, I feel, I mean, it's, I feel so disconnected from, from the mm-hmm. scene. I mean, cause well, it's Brian and I sort of, we, we made this pivot a couple years ago. I mean, cause we'd, we'd played in bands together, you know, for a number of years. I mean, it's how we met before we started dating oh, okay. and uh, was playing music. And at a certain point we, I mean, other than just like getting old and being tired, <laughs> you know, I no. mean, cause it's like. We, you know, but in terms of just like having, having a day gig and having to get up early and, and, you know, so it sort of changes, changes the weight of how, how late you can play these like Tuesday night, you know, shitty gigs, you know, it's like, all right, you know, just it's, you do that long enough and it's kind of like, all right, am am I over this, you know, but Mm -hmm. um, we always are sort of asking ourselves. And so we, but part of what ended up happening when we sort of um, locked into the duo configuration that we have now is that. You know, I grew up doing, you know, musical theater and sort of um, coming a little bit out of out of jazz stuff. My dad was a was a great keyboard player mm-hmm. and and uh, would always go sit in with like these little jazz groups uh, locally. And so um, Brian got really interested in that, you know, and we we sort of started to think of like, well, how can we uh take you know his punk and diy you know sort of rock trio you know we you know that that his background and sort of merge that with um my theater stuff and so we've started doing this like weird sort of like cabaret-ish kind of uh set where we'll do you know a bunch of original songs and then depending on where we're playing you know we may learn some covers that are sort of like site specific so like when we were in la um you know, we did like some Warren Zevon and we did, um, you know, where the streets have no name uh, that we we did using, you know, your Omnicord, like I was telling you. And um, we played a gig in Indiana last year where we learned some John Mellencamp and, you know, did then uh, we did a Janet Jackson tune and we took it really. We did like this, like weird Eric Satie style arrangement of um when I think of you, which was like just demented. And we had a lot of fun putting that together. And so anyway, whole point of that ramble is just that. um yeah, we sort of feel like, man, club club gigs, is that like a thing we're even interested in doing anymore? And so we we're more interested in like doing in 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 weirder, weirder venues, you know, sort of even beyond um, uh, coffee shops and stuff like that, where we played the Colvin House, you know, um, a couple years ago and uh, have been doing these um interactive things with our friend gene cannonberg where he he draws these like abstract comics that get like projected behind us while we're playing and so we're sort of like on the outer limits of these of these weird weird gigs and weird venues (laughs) so yeah Yeah. all that is to say i'm totally disconnected with what's happening in chicago right now yeah yeah that's that's interesting and you're an accordionist right well, I mean, ha- having having grown up playing keyboard and my dad was an accordion player. And so after he passed away, there were these uh, instruments that he had that um, yeah. a lot of times that I didn't even know that they were out there. That was like the church that he went to. They were like, oh, we found this accordion. Do you want it? And I was like, hell yeah, I want it. Oh, so oh. Yeah, that's how I ended up with like the huge, huge accordion. And then, um, yeah, we've picked up some smaller ones that are easier to cart around from uh, from Midwest Buy and Sell. We we've we've gotten a th- few from there, and um, so yeah, that's that's where the accordion comes from. Because I was like, well, if we don't have uh, it, it's it just looks cooler. The optics of the accordion, I think, are are very impressive. Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, a lot of things you can do kind of digitally and get get really close, like amazingly close. But seeing someone like if I if I went somewhere and someone pulls out an accordion and they're setting up before they're set. I would stay and watch that band. I I just, it's just cool, you know, and living in Chicago, 
no it definitely gets a it's gets gets a good response when we um when we pull it out yeah uh, last fall we got asked to play uh again at the colvin house here in edgewater the gorgeous gorgeous space that's like a co-working space and then they also have like event spaces and every other month they do again when we're not in coronavirus times they do a cool event called the parlor where you know they cater in really cool food and everyone dresses up in like fancy clothes and then they always have like sort of this oddball assortment of different musicians like a harpist or like a flute player or whatever and they asked us to do it and um it was right before Halloween last year. And so we're like, you know, we did a couple of our original songs, but we're like, yeah, we got to do some spooky, spooky tunes. And so the one thing that we did with the accordion was uh, I put a spell on you oh, yeah. and the audience like lost their minds. Yeah. Like when I, A, when I pulled it out and then B, when I started singing it, because again, we did it like sort of like almost like a murder ballad. We didn't do it real torchy oh, and yeah. uh, we did it sort of more, more quietly. And, uh, and so that was, that was really fun. Yeah. That's a great song. Screaming Jay Hawkins was, uh, he was from Cleveland. Oh, yeah, really? He, I don't think I knew I that. I think he was the original. I don't know if he wrote that song or if he was. Yeah, of, yeah. That he wrote that one. Yeah. Oh, he did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was from Cleveland. And um, God, what a, as far as I know, I'm pretty sure he was. But um, wow, what a, what a beautiful weirdo he was. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would, we've just been, uh, again, in quarantine, we just signed up for the Criterion channel and have been meeting to rewatch uh, Mystery Train. Mm, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know. I don't know what the future of the rock clubs are going to be. Cause I think you're right with the people, people moving into these kind of smaller spaces and you can just, you know, broadcast things. You can have a really small, um, venue with just a small audience and yet you can get your stuff out on such a wide scale, you know, with the power of the internet. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know how these rock clubs are going to do uh, in the next few years in Chicago, but yeah, we'll see. Because have you guys been doing any like streaming, uh, like on Twitch or anything? Yeah, um, Joe has been doing like basically like karaoke style, and uh, I don't know if you caught any of the performance last night, but yeah, he, he does like he'll do a bunch of old school songs, and uh, he's he's such a character. He has like a, a theater and a comedy background too, so. There's definitely that element going on. Um, but yeah, he, he's been doing uh, performances on Instagram, on like the IGTV. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. As a full band, we have not. Yeah, we, we are behind the behind the times. We need to get on that. Because <laughs> there's like the, the app now where you can do like the whole band can perform a song. Uh, have you seen that yet? I don't know the app, but I've been seeing, you know, some of the videos yeah. of people sort of in their own it's homes doing that, but there, there's an app that does that. Yeah. There's an app that does it. Uh, what is it called? Um, acapella, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, some of our, our, our band friends and other bands have been doing some really cool stuff with that. So yeah, we need to get on that, get on that train. Well, cause I, um, I, uh, we saw, when was it in the fall, uh, Zola Jesus, the singer, yeah. um, perform at the International Surgical Museum, uh, which was just a phenomenal show. She, it was like the scariest shit I've ever seen in my life, like in a really good way. Yeah. I mean, she was just really intense. Uh, and, oh, it was, it was so, so cool. But she's been really big talking about, you know, it's like obviously, um, uh, live performance, you know, shouldn't be replaced. You know, she really believes in that and, and in the power of being in a room with people. But then also now has been talking about um, like streaming. She was, she, she compared it to, um, 
almost like public access TV that it's kind of like no one's watching. It's like get out there, do something weird, yeah. you know, and 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 do use some of these um these live streaming opportunities to really um yeah just bring bring your weirdness to the fore and like find your little your little audience you know because people people want genuine stuff because i think that with you know spotify is awesome but with with a lot of those algorithms where you're just getting more of the same of what you're already into and and genuinely connecting with stuff that's new and different and weird um this it's an exciting opportunity if if you have the the diligence to dig for it you know totally yeah yeah, I, I definitely agree with the uh, uh, how, how big of a tool that has become the streaming stuff. So yeah, we're something I need to investigate in further, and especially with the business too. I think I've I've put up some some videos of just testing out gear and things on on Instagram and uh, gotten a really good response and made some good connections that way too. So yeah, it's it's powerful. It's powerful. But again, like I was sort of joking about, you know, suddenly, you know, trolling uh, estate sales and going on eBay looking for stuff being such a huge part of what you do. And like, now there's this whole other aspect where yeah, teaching yourself like the tools of all the, um, you know, the different streaming devices and all the other apps and the algorithms and everything. And and that becomes this whole other part of your job where you have to wrangle that that digital that digital marketing component. Exactly. Yeah, that'll be uh, be maybe one of the first jobs I I hire for when I'm in (laughs) <laughs> and some young whippersnapper that knows what they're doing. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. But yeah, sometimes it can detract from, from other things that need to be done or other, other avenues that you want to explore. So, Well, speaking of other avenues that you want to explore, like what's what's next for you? Like what's coming up for, for, for your music? What's coming up for the shop? Yeah. Um, you know, the dream is still to have a, uh, uh, to have a physical space. Uh, a shop of my own. Um, it's just difficult. It's it's difficult in Chicago. Things are very expensive here. Um, but that is that's what I'd like to do eventually is have a little uh, spot that's not too crazy big, but feels comfortable and people can come to, and it has has all my gear spread out where it can be tested. Um, but it, man, am I glad I don't have a shop right now with the uh, oh with Jesus right? right? I, I really feel for shop owners. I've, I've just I've dabbled in that life and uh it's tough as it as it is and then with this going on it's like yeah I'm, i feel very fortunate that i didn't take that plunge before this so so yeah so in the meantime uh if you want to give a shout out to where people can find you in your various online footprints I'd love to, yeah. um so i have a website it's called rarebirdsmusic.com um and you can see pretty much everything I have up there. Uh, I think it just links to my Reverb.com shop. If, you, uh, if you're more comfortable shopping on Reverb, um, you can look me up. Just Google uh, Rare Birds Musical Oddities or Rare Birds Music should pull it up as well. Um, and that'll pull up my, I think the first hit on Google is uh, my Reverb.com shop. Um, so that's a good way to find me. You can follow me on Instagram, Rare Birds Music. I post a lot of stuff on there and have like, uh, some what I think are kind of clever photos and uh, clever descriptions and stuff. So if you're into that, cool. Um, and yeah, hopefully I'll have a shop soon. So if you don't mind staying, uh, staying tuned on one of those channels, um, you'll hear about when I do have a physical space. Awesome. And I will definitely link all these um, on my blog in the show notes so that people can find it easily and click on through and find their next um, musical object that they can't live without. Appreciate that. 
Well, Brian, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. This was like so great to just talk gear. And I feel like this is something that we would be doing on a Saturday afternoon, uh, you know, all things being equal anyway, just like shooting the shit and and uh, and talking about cool stuff. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Thank you for, for having me, Allison. I really appreciate it. A couple of years ago, after a show at the Green Mill here in Chicago, the great jazz guitarist John Mulder said something to me to the effect of, I know you know a lot about gear, and I had to laugh because I so don't. But I've always been fascinated by the rhythms of discourse around gear. I'm a sucker for listening to people talk about the smallest technical details of their hobbies and professions. The passion of specificity is really irresistible to me. So, since I grew up in a house with a gigging musician, and am currently in a band myself, I've picked up a little bit of knowledge about gear, mainly just from paying attention to the conversations happening around me. So, it was a blast to have one of those conversations myself here with Brian today. Because one of the other big things that I've always appreciated about Brian is that he never talked down to or past me when my partner would be discussing with him the actual nitty-gritty details of gear. He never assumed that I couldn't keep up or that I wasn't interested, which unfortunately is a fairly rare occurrence in the still kind of macho world of music stores. So if that's the kind of person you'd like to do business with, if you're in the market for some really cool stuff that you might not be able to find elsewhere, be sure to check out his shop online at rarebirdsmusic.com. As always, you can find links to Brian's various online presences and a bunch of other things we talked about in this episode on the show notes on my blog at queenofpeaches.com. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. <laughs>